Turn with me to Psalm chapter 14. We start this morning in our series, April Fools. It will go now until Easter, and you'll understand it a little bit more in a minute, the title. Let me ask you first, how many of you love a good old April Fool's prank? Let me give you a couple you could pull on your kid, okay? I think they're the funnest, right? Freeze your kid's morning cereal. Stuff toilet paper into the toes of their shoes. Tape a party popper to their door. Put a for sale sign in your front yard and when they ask where are we moving, tell them Alaska. Take them out and make them think the principal called. Here's one you could do to your spouse. Cover the remote sensor with tape. Paint a bar of soap with fingernail polish. Frost a balloon for their birthday cake. You know what happens when they cut into it. If you really want to be sweet, you could do a dessert grilled cheese that's pound cake and frosting. Get quite a delight when they get into that. If you really want to be twisted, you could stick a helium balloon in the commode and close the lid that's red with a clown face on it. So, You know the prize for the best April Fool's prank of 2018? The weather. Here's some warm weather. April Fool's, right? Many today believe the biggest April Fool's prank is what the church is pulling and convincing people that there is a God, the Bible is true, the cross is the only way, and Jesus is risen. Those questions, is there a God, is the Bible true, is the cross the only way, and is Jesus risen, they're not the father of April Fool's pranks, but questions to which the answers have eternal consequences. Amen? And so the purpose of this series, if we have unbelievers here this morning or at any time in our service, is not to belittle them. Jude one twenty two tells us to have mercy on those who doubt. And so I want to help you wrestle with your doubts. If you're here and you're a believer, I don't want to bore you. Hosea 4.6 is clear that God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. There are many atheists who once were Christians. There's one story you'll hear me tell this morning, one that was a Southern Baptist. You better be able to defend your faith, but most importantly, you better be able to stand firm in your faith. And so as an introduction to the sermon this morning, which is April's Fool, April Fools, There Is No God, it's one of the strange quirks of human nature. We tend to believe wild and absurd things while we doubt and dismiss the credible and the important. Let me give you some personal experience of how I see this played out every day. Patient comes into my office, their history is completely consistent with appendicitis. Their physical exam is completely consistent with appendicitis. I get a CAT scan that is completely consistent with appendicitis. And I say, you need to go get your appendix out. And they say, Doc, don't you think that this could be this elderberry herb that I've been taking the last week? No, your appendix is sick. Don't you think it could have been my dog jumped on my stomach and bruised my side there a month ago? No, I have your history, your physical exam, and a test that says you have appendicitis. You need to get it out. They'll believe wild and absurd things. Let me give you another example. 50-year-old comes in for a physical, says, Doc, what's the best thing I can do to stay healthy? 
Then he rattles off that he's taking Kwangyong route from Korea for his cholesterol that he's getting online and they're shipping from Korea. He's taking some jellyfish protein for his memory and Dr. Moneybags tonic for cancer. Now there's some humor in that because Dr. Moneybags is the one making money off of you, right? And I say, well, how about you quit smoking those two packs of cigarettes a day? Well, why would I ever want to do that? I don't know. Maybe the warning on the side that this may cause cancer. This was best satirized on Saturday Night Live. There's a skit in which a man dies and goes to heaven. He's quizzing an angel on all the unanswered questions and unsolved mysteries of his existence. And he said, what happened to that $50 bill I lost at graduation? Who had a crush on me I didn't know about? And his final one is this. It says, what is the one thing that would surprise me the most if I knew it? The angel dramatically paused and said, professional wrestling is real. <laughs> Credible and logical things we say, April Fools, not real. And wild and absurd things, pro wrestling's real, I knew it. It's the quirk of this that causes us to deny the Holocaust, that causes us to deny that Americans walked on the moon, that 9-11 was the work of terrorists, every fake news article you see on Facebook. Now some beliefs are harmless, aren't they? Some things, though, are devastating and have eternal consequences. Listen to what Richard Dawkins, probably the most famed atheist of our times, has said. Religion is capable of driving people to such dangerous folly that faith seems to me to qualify as a kind of mental illness. Did we not see this played out on the view in which Joy Behar said that if you hear Jesus talking to you like Mike Pence does, you're a nut. Another atheist said religious faith depends on a host of social, psychological, and emotional factors that have little or nothing to do with probabilities, evidence, and logic. In other words, does God exist? They would say, is pro wrestling real? Of course not. And so to assert there is, to assert there is a God, you've got to be mentally ill or you don't want anything to do with logic and evidence, right? So who's believing the wild and absurd and who's doubting and dismissing the credible and the important. There is a God. Is it April's fool or is it fool not to believe? So stand with me down to the reading of God's Word, Psalm 14. I'm just going to read one verse, but you'll get others. Psalm 14, 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Word of God to the people of God preaching the power of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Crossway, Father, and the witness that this church has been for the last 15 years. Father, I pray that You would continue to help us to be the witness that You have called us to be. Father, I pray that everything that this church has ever done and ever will do in the future, that it is not to glorify ourselves, but it is to glorify You and to exalt Your Son, Jesus Christ. So thank You that we can come and celebrate today 15 years. But Father, thank you also that we can gather together in fellowship and love on one another. And Father, open your word that, Father, you will preach to us through your messenger and through the power of the Holy Spirit what you would have us to learn today. And we ask all of this in the wonderful, precious name that is above every name, and that is Jesus. Amen. So first we're going to look at an interrogation. Behind this the fool says in his heart, really is an unstated question. 
Does God exist? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so inquiring minds want to know, does God exist? Listen to how the answer to that has changed in our country over the past seven years alone. A 2014 religious landscape study by a Pew Research Center, which is a very reputable organization, said, do you believe in God with absolute certainty? In 2007, it was 71%. It's now down 63 to 63%. That's the largest drop in any category, 8%. Don't believe with any certainty, 5% in 2007. It's now up to 9% in 2014. In a little over seven years, atheism has grown from 1 in 20 Americans to 1 in 10. But hold on. Because a May 2017 article, way more Americans may be atheists than we thought, there was a new study they did in which they asked the question, do you believe in God in a different way? And they concluded that possibly as many as 1 in 4, 26% of Americans, don't believe in God. So does God exist may be one of the most relevant questions of our day. Not to mention the atheists of our day are not just sit back and let you believe whatever you want to believe. They now are militant. Richard Dawkins has a famed book, The God Delusion. And he says there's no room for God in the world and he believes atheists should be forceful in opposing religion. In his 2002 TED talk, he described his American biologists as in a state of war when it comes to defending evolution. New atheism is a term that was coined in 2006 by agnostic journalist Gary Wolf. He said this, that superstition, religion, and irrationalism should not simply be tolerated, but should be countered, criticized, and exposed. Many of you, if you didn't hear this week, Gail Jordan. You ever heard that name? Probably not. Tennessee District 14, the Senate seat, is up. And she is running for election as a devout atheist in our state. She is the executive director of an organization entitled Recovering from Religion. She believes that y'all simply need rescued. And you need to recover from your mental illness. And she's potentially going to be a senator for our state. Now let me tell you, there ain't really much at all that I agree with Richard Dawkins on, but the one thing he is right about, this is not just a matter of a simple question and a simple interrogation. Does God exist? This is war. And it is spiritual war, in my estimation, that the devil is waging on our culture because he wants to destroy America, but most importantly, the people in it. If you don't think we're at cultural war, you got your head in the sand. So you better know this material. This is not to bore you. And you say, well man, I already know that God exists. Why are you preaching a whole message on this? Because you need to know it. Because your eternal destiny is dependent upon it. Turn to 1 Peter 3.15. I'm going to give you two reasons why you need to know it. Any of you ever witnessed to someone and turns out they were an atheist? Are you in here by a show of hands, are you equipped to have a spiritual discussion and share the gospel and counter their claims 
with an atheist by a show of hands. So we need this. We need this. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone, that includes an atheist, who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet look at how we're to do it. With gentleness and respect. You don't call them an idiot. You do it with gentleness and respect. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 23. This is a great passage talking about Jesus. And it says in 23, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And look at chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up and established in the faith. You need roots. If you do not have roots that are deep down in this church in which other brothers and sisters are walking with you and holding you accountable and helping you in your faith walk, if you do not have yourself sunk deep down in this Word and rooted in it, you are set up for disaster. And the devil is just waiting to come and pluck you up. What's the image of the four souls? You don't want to be the the seed over here that's hanging on to the rocky soil that's just barely hanging on the edge of the concrete. You better be deep down in. You better know this stuff. It's not just a sermon that we're putting on that has nothing to do with you. Alright, if you're here today and you're an unbeliever, I don't care what you believe, I'm going to tell you as a very highly intelligent man that has had lots of education that every person ever given breath by God will stand before Him accountable. You can deny it all you want. It does not change the truth of it. In Colossians 2.8, look at what it says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. We have folks here that are potentially going off to college soon. You better be rooted down in your faith because they are going to try to take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit in the colleges and universities across this land. I love what Rice Brooks said. He said, if we focus so heavily on the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, shouldn't we be giving equal attention to the Great Question? That blew me away. When do we really give great attention to the great question? Does God exist? Is the Bible real? Is the cross the only way? Is Jesus risen? Have I prepared our people to answer these things and be able to be rooted down in these? Our eternity is at stake, brothers and sisters. So what information exists to help us answer this greatest of questions, does God exist? So let's look at that. Turn back to Psalm 14. Notice that it says first, the fool says. The Hebrew word for fool is nabal. It's a word sometimes translated wicked. And it implies an aggressive perversity, 
Uh, it's really not an intellectual issue. It's a moral issue. They're not a fool because they intellectually are an idiot. They're a fool because of their morality. And they don't want anyone impinging on their morality. And they sure don't want God and His authority telling them how to live out their morality. He's, it's epitomized by the Nabal of 1 Samuel 25, 25. Their assertion that there is no God as Dr. Kinder says, is treated in Scripture not as a sincere if misguided conviction, but as an irresponsible gesture of defiance. And so, listen to how the Bible puts this. One, to say there is no God is a gamble against moral sanctions. Look at what it says there in Psalm 14. None who does good. They want their own morality. Two, it's the impatience of authority in Job 21. But look at here what it says. They do abominable deeds. What does Romans say? The things that they know that they shouldn't do, they do it and then they <laughs> clap and give approval to those who do them. Do we not see that in our land today, brothers and sisters? Stuff that God clearly says is abominable, we clap and give praise to those who do it. Why? Because we do not want to be under God's authority. And so look at the, the third thing is this, that it's intellectual and moral suicide. They are corrupt. That really is what atheism is, is intellectual suicide. Romans 1.22 says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Because listen to this preponderance of information and evidence I'm going to give you. Y'all ready? First is creational. Turn to Romans 1. Some of this you may have heard. Some of it you may not have. So first is creational. Evidence from creation. Look at Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is what? Plain to them. It's as plain as the nose at the end of my face. Because why? God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, what? Are kind of murky like muddy water? No. Have been clearly perceived how? ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Let me give you a couple of illustrations from this first creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. Amen. You go out and you sit and you deer hunt long enough and you look at enough sunsets and sunrises and you come away from that and you don't think there's a God, you're a fool. Amen. You are a fool. Ray Comfort had... A video, you may want to watch it, The Atheist Delusion. I would encourage you to YouTube it and watch The Atheist Delusion. Now I brought as the illustration kind of what he does. I'm going to try and get it to you in a, in a nutshell. Not keep us forever. But, hey, we got lunch. It don't matter how long we're here. <laughs> so he goes up to people and he says, Hey, are you an atheist? Are you an atheist? Yes, I'm an atheist. Yes, I'm an atheist. I used to be a Christian. Now I'm an atheist. One says, Well, I used to be Southern Baptist. Whatever. I, I'm, I'm an atheist. He gives them a book. This here is a book. It is a color book. It is full of pictures. And it also has black letters that actually are in two words and have punctuation in them. And he says, looking at this, did these pages fall down out of the sky? Did they get color in the exact right place? Did they get 
words in the, and letters in the exact right place, did it then get bound exactly like this to be a book just by chance? And they said, no, of course not. You would be an idiot to believe that. He said, so what do you believe? There's someone who designed this. And you know who designed this book? My wife. This was a present to me on Father's Day 2011. Someone designed this book. Then he says, how about DNA? DNA, three billion letters formed together into a book. It has been called the book of life. You now have, you think those three billion letters got all just magically dropped out of the sky in a primordial suit that became a monkey that then became a man. Do you think that all happened by accident? And you know what they say? Do you? How? I mean, you just destroyed your own argument. There's no way possible. But they hang on to it and we'll discuss why in a minute. The atheist. Delusion. The common sense of creation says there's a God. Second's the creature. And not to mention this, so they say DNA, which has three billion letters of information, came together by mutation. You know what usually mutations do? What do mutations do? Mess stuff, stuff up. That's why we get cancer. That's why we get Alzheimer's, things like that. You don't have three billion letters of DNA that get multiple, multiple mutations and a microbe becomes a microbiologist. That don't work. How about the eye? You know how y'all are seeing me? You know how I am seeing you? Because there's a small little spot on the back of my eye that is as thin as one piece of paper, but it is the small as a pen head. And on that are hundreds of millions of little things that pull in the light and then transmit that to my brain, upside down mind you. That then comes back out of my brain and then I see stuff right side up. How in the world did that get here by natural selection? It had to be God. The third is conscious. When Obama was in office, he multiple times quoted the golden rule. Praise the Lord. That's how we should live our lives. And you know what? People around the world clapped, applauded. Yes, let's live by the golden rule. Why should we live by the golden rule? Where did that even come from? Where did your conscience come from to know to do good or bad or to want to do more good than bad? Alright, so that's creational. Next is scriptural. And I ain't going to steal Jimmy's message because he's got this next week. But the Bible is true. The Bible asserts there's a God. Therefore, there is no God is a lie. Amen? Briefly, RAMP, R-A-M-P, proves to you that the Bible is true. The resurrection. First century Josephus documented that Jesus was resurrected. Sources outside the Bible say that He was resurrected. A is archaeology. Look up Hezekiah's tunnel. And read on that. Miracles. Babylonian Talmud. Documents that Jesus was a miracle worker. P is prophecy. That one person could fulfill the prophecies that Jesus did is one and one, uh, one to the 148th power. One to the 50th power is a mathematical impossibility. Alright, next is logical. 
What we first have to do is this. When an atheist comes up and says, well, there is no God and there's no proof. You know what? You can't, you have to, they have to acknowledge and you have to acknowledge. I can't prove to you that God exists. I can't pull him out of a little test tube and show you here's God, he exists. You can't pull something out of a test tube and show me God doesn't exist. You accept that on faith and I accept it on faith. They're both faith-based propositions. You know what a faith-based proposition is? Religion. Atheism is nothing more than a religion. And listen to what Pascal, you know Pascal's Wager? Y'all ever heard of that? Pascal's Wager? Here's Pascal's Wager. He says, okay, Mr. Atheist and Mr. Christian. You got Mr. Atheist. If Mr. Atheist is right and I'm wrong, guess what he wins? Nothing. You know what I lose? Nothing. If I'm right and he's wrong, you know what I win? Nothing. I don't win anything. Against him, now I win the Lord, but you know what he loses? Everything. Do you want to bet your life on that kind of foolishness? All right, next is traditional. I'll give you a couple of these. The first is what's called ontologic. The concept of God proves His very existence. When you understand what is meant by the word God and follow it to its logical conclusion, it's impossible for such a being not to exist. Imagine God not to exist is like imagining a five-sided triangle. When you understand the word triangle, then it's absurd of somebody to tell you that a triangle has five sides, isn't it? So when you try to imagine whether God exists or not, you're basically demanding that He exists by the very concept that you're even discussing it, right? Alright, teleological is this. A designer must exist since the universe and living things exhibit marks of design. If you went out into the woods and you found a nice, beautiful watch and it's been designed and it's got all these intricate parts that have been put together exactly here and it tells this time, would you go... This is awesome and amazing. It just dropped out of the sky, and I don't know how it got here, but it's wonderful. No, you would say somebody had to make the watch. There has to be a watchmaker. The universe has design. Guess what? Therefore, you must think. Someone must have made it. Right? Alright, next is cosmologic. Whatever exists has been caused to exist. And the uncaused cause is God. And then moral. Think about it. Every society... Can you think of any society in which it's right to go around killing folks? So where did that come from? Where did that universal morality come from? That's the moral argument. Alright. So some of these you've probably heard. They're kind of worn out by atheists. So I want to kind of take it a little bit different. I want to do what Tim Keller refers to as the clues of God and give you five of these quickly. They serve as strong clues for the reality of God. Again, there's no way that an atheist can disprove it. No way I can prove it. But these are very, very strong clues for God's existence. Clue number one is the mysterious bang. Newton's third law of motion is every reaction is an equal and opposite reaction. And following that logically, then every effect has a cause, right? If I walk in my house and my wife is crying, do you think I'm going to go, well, that's kind of strange, and just walk on and not care about it? Or I'm going to say, honey, what is wrong? Something had to have caused her to cry. If I go in my bedroom 
and my bathroom mirror is broken, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go find Matthew Cook and Will Cole, and I'm going to say, all right, who broke his mirror? I'm not just going to say, well, I don't know how it broke. It just happened to break. If, a th if I check my bank account tomorrow and I see that I'm $1,000 down, do you think I'm going to go, well, that's kind of strange. Don't know what happened to that. I'm going to go investigate a cause, right? Because there has to be a cause. In fact, there's a whole new field of physics to try and find the uncaused cause, quantum physics. And they've been searching for the God particle. In 2013, they awarded a Nobel Prize to Peter Higgs and Francis Englert for their theory of this God particle. It annoys Peter Higgs that it's been entitled that. You know why? Because he's an avowed atheist. But even science acknowledges and awards that the Big Bang had to have a big banger. It's a strong clue for God's existence. Number two, the cosmic welcome map. For organic life to exist, there has to be fundamental regularities and constants of physics. And for life on our planet to exist, there's 1,200 categories of just right precision that all are happen simultaneously. What if the earth was slightly bigger or slightly different in its location? Life on earth would not exist. What if the moon was a little bit closer? You know what would happen? Gravitational pull, they would collide. So all of these little things, so let me give you an illustration. If you pulled into your hotel for the night, or pulled into a hotel for the night, just randomly, and you didn't book the hotel, you go to the counter, clerk says, I'm going to give you room number seven. And you go, wow, seven's my favorite number. How did that happen? Oh, it's just coincidence. All right, let me go on and go to my hotel room. And you open the door and you walk in, you're like, this is like my favorite, whatever those scentsy fragrances are that you ladies like to put in there. It's my favorite scentsy fragrance in the hotel room. This really is kind of odd. And then you go, wow, all of the decor in here is my favorite color. This is really starting to get crazy. And you open up the refrigerator and all your favorite snacks are in there. There's Diet Mountain Dew. Yeah, somebody knew I was coming. Or Corky was coming. One of the two of us was coming. And then you look up and you see, wow, there's a painting of my favorite hangout when I was a kid. And you look over on the bed, you know those little towel animals that they make you? It's your favorite animal. And there's a little card and it's written out to you, hey, I hope you enjoy your stay, Amanda. Would you go, wow, that's just really coincidence. Or would you say, somebody knew I was coming. You see, God has laid out this cosmic welcome mat. He knew we were coming, but people will just say, oh, it's their coincidental. Now, if Marty and I were playing poker, which we wouldn't be doing, but if we were, you know, the pastor and the deacon are playing poker, and if I dealt 20 hands in a row of four aces to myself, and I said, now Marty, I did not cheat, cross my heart, I did not cheat, do you think it's reasonable for Marty to conclude that I didn't cheat? 
if you had 50 marksmen that were going to shoot upon a man in a firing squad and that six feet, all 50 simultaneously miss, would you say it's reasonable to conclude that they didn't conspire to miss? And so when we have all of this stuff that is here exactly like it needs to be, is it reasonable for us to conclude that God doesn't exist? No, it's the height of foolishness. All right, third is the regularity of nature. And I ain't talking Metamucil. <laughs> Let that sink in for some of you. All scientific inductive reason is based on the assumption of regularity, the laws of nature. E equals MC squared yesterday, and it's going to equal it today, and it's going to equal it tomorrow. The atomic weight of sodium is the same last month, it will be the same next month, and it'll be the same next year. Water is always going to boil at what? 212. Hallelujah. 212. Somebody remembers physical science. But here are 100 Celsius. But do you have any reason to believe that that is actually going to continue that way? You see, an atheist who just thinks upon and says that his cognitive faculties may mess him up, how is it that we know that water is going to boil at that same temperature? We take it by what? Faith. Even science has to take certain things by faith that nature will continue to be regular. Alright, the fourth is the clue of beauty. When you see a sunset, when you hear a great song, do you just say, David, well now that just magically kind of happened. Or do you say, somebody put that song together because of some experience in their life or from some pain or from some joy. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in man's heart. And we can look at the face of art and beauty and we can try and say that it means that we're just here for a meaningless reason. And that is not true. Alright, the final is clue killer. Here's what evolutionary biology would say the answer to all these clues is that we just believe because it helps us. There was an article in New York Times Magazine, Why Do We Believe? How evolutionary science explains faith in God. We believe because it helped us, not because it's true. It's advantageous for y'all to be Christians. It's advantageous for you to be Southern Baptists. Therefore, you believed, and then it's passed on genetically. And so now, you know, we have our children who believe. But you know what? If that's true, then the atheists could be passing on faulty thinking to their own children, right? They shouldn't trust their brains if that's the case, but they do. And really, as we're about to see, it's not a question about intellect, it's a question about authority and morality. So the objection, the fool says, in his heart. I'm going to give you three objections quickly. Objection number one, how could a good God allow suffering? You ever heard people say that? Here's the first answer, and it is a great question. If you haven't gone through these things yourself, you're going to get tripped up by the devil. First, without God as the ultimate standard of good, we would have no concept of evil, suffering, or tragedy. Amen? What did Jesus do with the rich young ruler? He come and He said, Good teacher, tell me what I must do to inherit eternal life. And what does Jesus always do? Answer a question with a question. And He said, Why do you call me good? Why did He do that? 
Because He's pointing to Him. You say good. Therefore, you're acknowledging that there is a what? Standard. And then what does He try to do? Justify He's met that standard. Oh, I've done all these things. I never told a lie to my parents. I never did this. I never did that. So if a standard exists, there had to be a standard maker. Right? And so if Idi Amin, who ravaged the country of Uganda, said, hey, it's good for me to kill people in my country, what do we say? No, it's not good because there is a standard. And where did that standard come from? The standard came from God. Think about one second. To a yachtman, is that a very long time? No. But to an Olympian, a second is an eternity. If I show you a white piece of paper and I say this is white, and Alyssa comes up and has a whiter piece of paper, then this ain't white anymore, is it? See, the ultimate standard comes from the Lord and actually it shows that it's a powerful argument for Him. The second, could a morally good God have a morally good reason to allow suffering? Yes. Isn't that what Joseph said? He said, you meant this for what? Evil, but God meant it for good. Tim Keller tells a story of a guy in his book, The Reason for God, and I would suggest you get this. I'm going to reference it at the end. But he said it was a guy that was a drug dealer, and he got shot in the face and lost his eyesight from that drug deal. And you know what he said? It was the best thing that ever happened to him because he was a selfish guy and he was a terrible human being and through that it led him to faith and led him to change himself and getting shot in the face, something that was terrible that God may have allowed was the best thing that ever happened to him. We know stories of that. God allowing me to suffer in my life was the best thing ever because it drove me to understand what I really needed was Jesus. Third, here's a better question. What's a morally good, all-powerful God done about evil and suffering in the world? He sent His Son into it that then died for us. Think about the cross. Jesus has been in perfect fellowship with the Trinity since eternity past. And you know what He did? He experienced cosmic abandonment so you and I did not have to. What did He yell out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did He come and do that? Because He loves you. And in the resurrection, I make all things new. He is our living hope. And one day He's coming to set everything right. Amen? Alright, the second objection is this. Science has disproved Christianity. You ever heard that? What does our faith rest upon? Miracles. We're soon going to be talking about the miracle of the resurrection at Easter. And at Christmas we talk about the miracle of incarnation. So science has proven there's no such thing as miracles, right? No, that's a leap of faith. That's a philosophical presupposition, not a scientific finding. Has anyone shown how the universe actually started? They say it's the Big Bang. Well, where did the particles come that started the Big Bang? No one has shown how the miracle of the creation of the universe got here. Has anyone shown how the miracle of life started? They said, well, it's evolution. Well, where did that come from? Because non-life can't, or life can't come from non-life. So is science in conflict with Christianity? Richard Dawkins would have us to think so. He claimed that only 7% of scientists believe in a personal God. Yet there was a study done in 1916 and repeated in 1997 and each of those, 40% of scientists said there was a God, 40% said no. 
A Harvard biologist said in his estimation it's half and half. And one gentleman said unbelieving scientists he knew are atheists on grounds other than their science. That it has nothing to do with science. Third, doesn't evolution disprove the Bible? Do your head like this. You go find the gap in the fossil record and you complete that and then we'll believe evolution. Amen? Alright, the third objection. How can a good God send people to hell? First, a God of judgment simply can't exist. Keller says that that is Western thinking. He said he had a lady in his church who objected to the idea of a judgmental God and he said, well, do you object to the idea of a forgiving God? And she looked at him like he was crazy. But if you go to certain countries and you tell them about the idea of a God who is forgiving and a God that's not judgmental, they recoil at that. And so he says, why should your culture's objections to Christianity trump theirs? Right? And so a God of judgment can exist. Some say, well, a God of judgment can't be a God of love. But anger isn't the opposite of love. What is? Hate is. One gentleman said, God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but is settled opposition to the cancer which is eating out the insides of the human race he loves with his whole being. Third, a loving God would not allow hell. God doesn't send folks to hell, amen? You know what he does? He simply gives them up to what they want most. And the thing they want most is freedom from God so he can't tell them what to do and how to live. And is there anything more loving or more fair than just giving you exactly what you want? But brothers and sisters, here's the thing. Ultimately, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Because look back at Psalm 14.1. Scripture always points to a lack of belief in God as a heart issue, not a brain issue. The fool says in his heart. Let me read you Isaiah 32.6. You can put that in your notes. Isaiah 32.6. For the fool speaks folly and his heart is busy with iniquity. Romans 1.19, what does it say repeatedly? Their heart, their heart, their heart, and they do these abominable things and it has a list of those things. And Jesus says in Matthew 15.19, those things proceed from the heart. Atheists are not idiots. Think about it in the terms of Wizard of Oz. They're not scarecrows that need new brains. They're ten men that need new hearts. God's solution for Buffy Cook, someone who thought he was so smart, made it all the way through high school with two B's. Made it all the way through college with no B's. Made it all the way through medical school with one more B. Thought I was super smart. I didn't need a new brain. I needed a new heart. And now that I'm a Christian, do I have a new brain? No, God has given me a new heart. And that's what Ezekiel 36 says. They need a heart transplant, not a brain transplant. Finally, quickly, as far as determination, there is no God. So we prove God exists. Well, which one is which? Is it the God of Islam? I would uh, refer you to, again, this book is a great resource, The Reason for God, Tim Keller. There's another book, No God But One, Allah or Jesus, by Nabel Qureshi. I'd refer you to that. 
But ultimately, I'm going to tell you what I refer you to because you can't argue with this. You can't argue with a transformed life. And you know how I know that Jesus is the God of this universe? Because I spoke with Him yesterday and I spoke with Him with this morning and I'm going to speak with Him tomorrow morning. Amen. And you can argue till the cows come home. And you know what? It ain't going to change the difference of what Jesus has done in my life. And so I would encourage you to learn some of these things. But brothers and sisters, the greatest witness that you have, the greatest witness that David Curtis has is not to argue all these things. The greatest witness that he has, and I have and you have, is a transformed life because the world cannot argue against that. Amen. So in closing, and don't don't fold your stuff up. I'm gonna do Jimmy Superfly Snook off the pulpit if y'all start closing your stuff up. Listen, because this is kind of a conclusion and invitation all in one. If there's someone here today and you're struggling with belief in God, you have a right to know the truth and make your own decision. I pray this morning you've been presented with the truth. Don't be a fool. Evangelist E. L. Hyde one time was preaching a revival in New Jersey. And he said one night, he said, I can prove within 10 minutes all atheists are fools. The next night a gentleman came up to him and he said, Sir, did you say last night you can prove within 10 minutes that all atheists are fools? And he said, Yes, I did. He said, Sir, are you an atheist? He said, Yes, I am. He said, I've studied and traveled and lectured against Christianity for more than 12 years. And E.L. Hyde said, Well, if a man will lecture 12 years against nothing isn't a fool, what in your judgment constitutes one? The atheist turned in rage and Dr. E.L. Hyde said, wait, I still got six minutes. If you're here and you're struggling, be open-minded and open-hearted. Examine the evidence for yourself. The Scriptures say if you will draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. Amen? If you're here today and you're a Christian, Dawkins is right, brothers and sisters. This is a state of war. I referenced the Tennessee Senate race. Our lieutenant governor said this, Most Tennesseans, whether they are strong believers or not, recognize the strength and comfort faith provides. Gail Jordan rejects faith as a positive force for good in the world. She believes faith is something from which people need to be rescued. Brothers and sisters, this is a spiritual war. And God has called us to put on our armor and go and fight. Not to hurl insults, but to win souls. Amen? So you need to understand some certain truths. You need to build some relationships with people that are lost. You need to speak the truth in love. You need to pray, 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 because only God can change your heart. Amen? You can't argue people into heaven. But the Holy Spirit can get them there. Amen? And then we need to stand firm in the faith. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that we as the church are the pillar and buttress of the truth. There is going to be no truth. You can't find it on the airways. You can't find it in the newspapers. The church is the only one with the truth. So the resounding battle cry of our day is this. I believe in a God of love. Don't you hear that all the time? Tim Keller in his book tells of his personal struggle with the Christian faith he was raised in. Remember Gail Jordan that I mentioned before that's atheist running for Senate? You know what she was? She used to be a Southern Baptist. And she left the faith about 10 years ago. So what's the difference between him and her? He says he was troubled by Christians who stressed hellfire and damnation. He believed if there was a core to all religions, it was going to be this, a loving God. So he set out in pursuit to examine every religion there is on the planet. 
And he said he came away with this difference. He found no other religious text outside the Bible that said God created the world out of love and delight. Instead, all the others say that it was created through struggles and violent battles. Buddhism puts a great emphasis on what? Selfishness and serving others. But they don't even believe in a personal God and love is an action word. Amen? How can you believe in love and doing loving things and you don't even believe in a personal God? Muslims recoil at the idea that God pours effusions of love into our hearts. And he said this, he said, can you look at the world today and say it proves the God of the world is a God of love? Can you look at history and say this all shows the God of history is a God of love? Can you look at religious texts of the world and conclude God is a God of love? By no means the only conclusion, the only source of that idea that God is a God of love is the Bible itself. For what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Listen to this, and I've got it on the screen. For God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest company, that He gave the greatest act, His only begotten Son, the greatest gift, that whosoever the greatest opportunity believeth the greatest simplicity, in Him the greatest attraction, shall not perish the greatest promise, but the greatest difference, have the greatest certainty, everlasting life, the greatest possession. Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Do you know Him today? Do not turn Him away. Oh, Jesus. Without Him, how lost would I be? Do you know Him today? Come, believe, repent, receive that you can have eternal life and the abundant life that Jesus can give us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day as we come to this time of invitation. Father, I pray that You would just bless it. Father, if there's anyone here today that needs to make any decision for You, Father, be it salvation, Father, be it church membership, Father, be it baptism, Father, be it just anything that has been said today that has convicted us. Father, this altar is not here for those of us that have done something bad. It's just for us to come and to fellowship with You. And so, Father, I pray for any that wants to do that today, the altar is open. Father, again, thank You for 15 years that You've given us. We look forward to the days ahead, Father, in which You're going to use us to share the blessed Gospel to a lost and dying world. Help us to be faithful to that, even to the end. And Father, we look forward to the day, as Brother David said earlier, in which You bust the sky and You come back and You gather us unto Yourselves. Father, we ask that you would bless this time of invitation now in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand for the time of invitation. Page 317. Come every soul by sin oppressed There's mercy with the Lord And He will surely give you rest By trusting in His Word Only trust Him, only trust Him trust Him now. He will save you. He will save
save you. Be 